This is the League of Leagues podcast, a fantasy football podcast, and I'm your host, Scott Aliali. We continue on our divisional breakdown going into the AFC North. It's been brought to my attention that I like to use the word unpacking when it comes to the deep dive analysis of fantasy football. And you know what? I like it. Today, we're going to unpack a Juju. We'll unpack a Mixon, unpack a little Hollywood and a little bit of Baker. But before we get into that, I want to talk about an observation I have about the offseason. I feel like COVID in general has just made people that aren't self-motivated even less self-motivated, and the hardworking even that much more hardworking. Now, I can go into examples, but I draw a parallel into football because who knows what these players have been up to during their off-season programs that have been kind of off what they've been used to. So I'm kind of feeling like we might see a little bit more of the injury bug than we normally have been used to because of how the off-season has sort of played out. I'm kind of curious to know what our League of League members, Will Sidner, who we bring back again, and Mike Aliali have to say about this. Will, why don't we start with you? First of all, good to see you, buddy. Good to see you, too. And uh, I don't want it to be forgotten that we're about, uh, what, uh, nine, ten days away from our fantasy draft? Woo! Can't wait. Dude, I'm pumped up, so I hope everybody out there is uh, getting ready for their drafts as well. Um, I think it's an interesting point you bring up. I know that over the last couple of days, they've gone into padded practices and just like that, uh, I've been watching a little NFL Network, and all of a sudden the ticker is starting. And I know the cornerback for Arizona tore his peck and is out for the year. And I saw that Nick Chubb is already in the concussion protocol. I know that's not you know so much of a work ethic issue, but uh, I've seen a few other injuries sprout up. I think a Miami Dolphins player was carted off with a knee injury. So uh, it is interesting to wonder how some of these guys may not be in the shape, even if maybe it isn't a work ethic issue, but maybe just an access to do things issue, uh, that maybe these guys aren't in the conditioning they're used to being in. And when they start to push their bodies a little bit, what do you know? Something bad happens. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, some players have the means to have their own home gym set up, their own trainers to keep them on their regimen. But a lot of players don't have that luxury. So you mentioned a Vince Beagle in Miami who's had that injury. Artie Burns on the Steelers just had a torn ACL. Um, you don't know what these players have access to and what they don't have access to. So I think we might, there might be the injury bug going around this season. Mike, what, what have you noticed recently going into the uh, heading into the season here? Yeah, a lot of the same. The injuries you guys commented on, I saw A.J. Green was pulled out because of a, a possible hamstring issue. They mm-hmm. say it's precautionary, but... You know, coming off the foot and the surgery and having that come down, you don't know. Then, you know, you sent around that picture of Tua, and to quote you, it doesn't look like a QB1 body. <laughs> so, yeah, it's tough. So, yeah, I mean, you look at the rookies who are used to being so regimented in college and now having a little more freedom and latitude. Curious to see how they shape up. You know who looks like an RB1 body is A.J. Dillon. I don't know if you saw that picture <laughs> that surfaced, but and I'm going to I'm going to go into what the media is writing about right now. The media has no access to really write about what's going on in these practices. So they're just kind of throwing stuff against the wall just to get stuff out there, looking for clicks, looking for likes. And the reaction that we're getting, and I think we're all thirsty to get some NFL action on our plate. So I see that picture of A.J. Dillon. I'm like, oh, my gosh, don't draft uh, Aaron Jones because (laughs) A.J. Dillon looks like a beast, uh, but you can't overreact. I don't know about you guys, but usually during the preseason, you look for team tendencies. During that third preseason game, you get the dress rehearsal. You see who's the RB1 that's lined up. You see who the starting receivers are. We're not going to get to see any of that. So maybe before we get into the AFC North, 
How are you adjusting for that in your fantasy rankings and how are you thinking about your fantasy draft? Mike, let's start with you. I mean, when you're early in the draft, you got to look for those locked positions. You can't look for something that could even potentially be a, a quarter a running back wide receiver controversy. You got to look for teams that maybe uh, took a running back in the first round and there may be a veteran who's who's slated to be the number one. You got to kind of stay away from those situations because you're not going to see it really play out in preseason the way you noted. So just got to play it a little more more safe and be uh, observant of situations that could arise. So it sounds like you're going a little bit more conservative. A little more. Okay. Will, any thoughts? I'm a big believer in the eye test factor. And there have been a lot of times where I have discovered some players in early weeks of the preseason because they're second or third string guys to go into the start of the year. And they're guys I have on my, you know, pickup list or kind of sleeper list because I watch some backup Buffalo running back rip off a couple of really strong. And you know, if you watch a lot of football, what guys look faster, bigger, stronger. And, you know, we're not going to have that. At the same time, to your point, uh, maybe it will do me some good to not think that I know something from one or two preseason games. You know, I know that we have joked about DeAndre Washington being a factor in, in Kansas City, but I was a believer in him every year in Oakland. I wasn't really drafting him, but mm-hmm. every year, the first couple of years, he would be in the preseason, and I would say, this guy is so good. He catches the ball. He's fast. He runs. He scores touchdowns. They got to play this guy. I got to put him on my you know guys to pick up or sleeper list, and it never pans out. So m- maybe it'll help me that I don't have any idea of what I think I know. Uh, but at the same time, it does feel a little daunting to to take a risk on some of these guys. Yeah, and I think everyone's talking about how the rookies might have a challenge getting up to speed with the NFL. But maybe, just maybe, it's going to be the opposite. So rookies, they when they were playing in college, they didn't have a preseason. They just went in and started playing, right? It's the veterans that had a process. They had an offseason. They had a program. The rookies are just learning right now what the NFL really is. So they don't have that sort of... I don't know if you want to call it baggage, but they don't have that history of knowing a program and how to follow it. They're just jumping in and going. And that's what they've been used to their last two, three, four years playing football in college. I'd say be ready for football, but at the start, be ready for some sloppy, ugly football. We are close, baby. I can't wait. So let's get into the division. Let's get into the AFC North. We'll tackle the Steelers first. Uh, The Steelers are slated right now for nine wins, according to the Vegas odds. Um, last year was rough, right? Ben Roethlisberger, he wasn't on the team, really. He got injured early. And then the defense stepped up. They won more games than I think people thought they'd win. They won seven games last year, but Ben is back. We'll see how back he really is. Uh, Mike, nine wins over or under for the Pittsburgh Steelers? I'm going over. I mean, I'm thinking they're going to get five wins within the division alone, two against Cleveland, two against Cincinnati. And then I think they're going to split with Baltimore. Um, <clears throat> Roethlisberger, you know, went down last year. So anything you see from last year is pretty much a wash. So I, I could definitely see them going over. Over nine. Will, over under. I got them over as well. I got them at 11 and five this year. And I think we're going to see a theme with few teams in this uh, division. But it's kind of like a bounce back or bust theory um, and how you're going to view these teams and some, some dynamic quarterback situations in all of them. So, um, yeah, I, I have them going 11-5 and five and being a competitive playoff team. So I think Will might be looking at my notes here. So I'm going to hide them for the rest of this session. <laughs> I, don't need your notes. I have them going 11-5 and five as well. But I don't feel good about it. And here's why I don't feel good about it. 
So you lose Ben Roethlisberger last year. Obviously, I don't want to say derailed because they didn't fall off the rails, but it took them from a Super Bowl contender to not even a playoff team. That one position, which is the most important position in football. You'd think you'd address that in the offseason. They're bringing back the same two backup quarterbacks. Wouldn't you, if you were the Steelers, try to get a Jameis Winston, a Marcus Mariota, someone that's serviceable that can go in and not just catapult the whole season like Mason Rudolph did and Duck Hodges did. So I'm I'm in on the 11-5. and five. I'm going to believe in the Ben not being totally washed up, but he is 38, and he doesn't seem like the kind of guy on paper, on when you see the pictures of him, etc., that really looks like the 38-year-old that takes care of himself the way that maybe Tom Brady does with the avocado ice cream. It's interesting you say that. Maybe you want to get into that because I, I maybe have some different thoughts on the quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers. What you got? So I... I'll say this, I, I actually am a believer in him having a pretty big bounce back year, and I'll go on now as saying that he'll be the comeback player of the year this year. He sets up perfectly for it. They still have a lot of weapons, and that team managed to go 8-8 eight and eight with third-string quarterback, which is pretty amazing. But um, I've actually even seen a little bit of footage of him over the last week or two where they do get access, and an eye test factor, it's the best I've ever seen him look. Uh, he looks trimmer than I've ever seen him look. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole he's motivated this season or he's not motivated. I don't really believe in all that garbage. <laughs> I think he's motivated to play for as long as he can because of the 20 to $27 million a year he'll make to do it. But at the longer he can, and I see him as a guy who looks at Breeze and Brady and some of these guys playing at 40, 41, 42 and thinks, if I can take care of myself and play at a relatively high level, not even top five, just somewhere in that 6 to 15 range, stay healthy, sh- you know, shave a little weight off my body, I might be able to play another four years and make another $100 million with the way the contracts are going. So I actually think he's going to have a pretty darn good year. And uh, you know he always misses two or three games. So I'm not going to say he's going to go injury-free, but I think we're going to see uh, uh, the same Ben Roethlisberger we're used to seeing. It's a valiant perspective. Um the only thing that I have to add to that is I don't think Ben Roethlisberger even needs to be what he used to be. The defense is really, really good in Pittsburgh, right? Sure. I mean, they proved it last year. They kept him in a lot of games where the offense couldn't even score points. So even if Ben is 80 85% of what he's been, this could be a really dangerous team. So let's get into Ben Roethlisberger, the fantasy player. ECR 13, being drafted around Matt Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, and Danny Jones. Mike, let's start with you. Are you a believer in Ben Roethlisberger as, as much as Will is? I think he's an absolute value pick down there. You look at a, a Stafford and the, the company he's in. When you look at his numbers when he's healthy, you're looking at about 4,000 yards and close to 30 touchdowns. Um, obviously, you're not getting the rushing yards you, the way you will with Mahomes or Jackson, but he's always been the guy that has been on my roster. I've got him in the mid-rounds. He's been solid. He's been an absolute steal in the draft, and I think he's going to be the same thing this year. Okay. So, Will, I'm not going to talk about last year's stats because they're irrelevant for Pittsburgh in general for their entire offense. 2018, he threw for 5,000 yards, 31 TDs, and three rushing TDs. You're obviously saying that you are looking for big things out of Ben Roethlisberger this year. 5,000 yards, 31 TDs, and three rush. That's a big season. That's top five fantasy QB. So, based on what you've said before, based on the stats from 2018 – I'm going to assume that you think he's going to be a top five QB this year. Not at all. So I think that's where the conversation is a little different. Um, I think he's he doesn't have, to your point, be that guy to be comeback player of the year. I think he can throw for 4,200 yards and 28 TDs and still win the comeback player of the year award. 
right? And they can still win 11 games. From a fantasy perspective, I don't see a lot of scenarios where I have him on my roster because I think it's a limited ceiling. So you're not going to get the rushing yards out of him. I just talked about how I think he's trying to preserve his career. Maybe he'll even be a little bit better about not holding onto the ball so long and taking some of those bigger hits and take a little bit of a dip in stat to you know, prolong his career. It doesn't mean he's not going to have a productive season. But when you start looking at the quarterbacks, and I've done you know, so a lot of mock drafting now over the last two weeks, the kind of guys I'm getting as my QB2, I'm probably taking them over a Ben Roethlisberger. I think if you're taking a Ben Roethlisberger, though, you might be laughing all the way to the bank for about three to five weeks when he's got the right matchups and he does get real hot and he does put up bigger numbers than maybe a guy I would take who presumably has a higher ceiling. And I don't, I have, I don't have the splits in front of me, but he's a much better fantasy quarterback at home than he is on the road. Um, uh, talking about the, compar- the player comparisons, Mike, let's start with you. Big Ben or Aaron Rodgers? Who do you like better? Mm, um, I'm going Big Ben. Will, what about you? Yeah, Aaron Rodgers. Okay. What about Matt Stafford or Big Ben, Mike? Big Ben, easy. Matt, Pat, Matt, Pad Stadford? Um, who just sits there padding the stats in Q4. No, um, Big Ben, like I said, you're going to get 4,000 plus and about 28 TDs. I think you go Big Ben. Thoughts, Will, on Stafford versus Yeah, ben? I'm worried about Stafford and the injuries. The back thing worries me. Yeah. So that's something that does never get better with age. So in that sort of comparison there, I'm going Rodgers. And I don't know if it's just namesake, but I'm going Rodgers. I'm going Ben, and then I'm going Stafford. The injury in Detroit, and we talked about in our prior podcast how the the Detroit kind of team construction over there feels a little tired. Sure. Moving on to the running back position, James Conner. So going back again to 2018, James Conner was arguably a first-round draft pick back then. He slid tremendously this year, and he's being drafted in the third round now, maybe sometimes even in the fourth round. He's being drafted around guys like Leonard Fournette, Chris Carson, Melvin Gordon, he's ECR 16 for running backs. And for those of you out there, that's expert consensus rankings. Will, let's start with you on James Conner. How are you feeling about James this year? Around those guys, I would probably take most of them over him. And my concern with James Conner is this. He's a guy that came out of nowhere a little bit. right? He wasn't very highly touted, highly drafted. And then he came into a system that was a really good system with a lot of things rolling for them, a great offensive line. And he had a nice surprise year. When he had to be the bell cow last year, he couldn't hold up. And he started to break down. And you still don't hear anything out of them that he's that guy. He's our 25-touch-a-game type guy, which is what you're looking for in that part of the draft. So I see some of the other running backs they've built around them. And I'm not sure if you're going to get into those or not, but certainly we can. But I just don't see him in that spot having the value and I'm too worried about him breaking down as the season goes on yeah the other running backs you mentioned Jalen Samuels probably not going to make the team Benny Snell we saw him play last year and eh. and then they drafted Anthony McFarland he's more of your kind of scat back third down back kind of guy um Mike playing devil, devil's advocate with Will a little bit I mean Connor had 1400 yards he had um over 10 TD he had 13 TDs in 2018 do you think he can return to form? No, I mean, he, <clears throat> as much as I want to disagree with Will, you look at the numbers, he's never finished a season, played a full 16 games. So nothing l- leads you to believe that somehow he's going to pull that off this year. 
He's going to be about 800 yards. He's going to be single-digit touchdowns. When you look at the upside of a Chris Carson, if he's got the, the fumble issue taken care of and he stays healthy, I mean, he's just going to blow, uh, blow James Conner out of the water. All right, I'm going to bring up a kind of a sensitive topic because I don't know how this is going to land, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. James Conner is a cancer survivor. There's COVID-19 out there, right? Is that factor in at all into your decision making on to draft no, a guy like this? No, Underline, no, 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 don't no. even go there. Reach? Yeah. Am I reaching? Yeah, no. that's uh, that's he's, me. Yeah, that's not. He, he's committed to play. He, he's he's in as far as I've heard. Um, I, I'm more concerned about his injury history than I am with his cancer past cancer diagnosis. And and really, from what I understand. It's if you're going through cancer treatments and you're going through chemotherapy that you're a higher risk for COVID. I don't think because you had cancer that that makes you a higher risk factor. So I love it when you become a, a disease expert. Well, look it up. You know, <laughs> All right. So let's rank these guys. James Conner, Fournette, Chris Carson. Rank them one, two, three, Will. Fournette, Carson, Conner. Mike, how about you? Carson, Fournette, Conner. I'm going Carson, Connor, Fournette, and I'll tell you why on Fournette. They didn't even want him on the team. They wanted to trade Fournette. That was legit out there. No, I totally agree. When I said it, I was asking the question, like, were those the three running backs, Fournette, Carson, <laughs> Connor, and just ran by it? I, I would definitely put Carson on top of that list. <laughs> so, um, but you just roll with it, and I didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Good stuff. All right, let's go on to some Juju Smith-Schuster. All right, a common theme here, 2018, going into the 2019 draft. Everyone was talking about him potentially having wide receiver overall wide receiver one potential. Oh. Obviously, that fell flat again because Ben Roethlisberger got hurt, so you can't really compare last year's stats. He's dropping an ADP. A couple weeks ago, he was ECR ten. He's now ECR fourteen. He's being drafted around guys like Mike Evans, DJ Moore, AJ Brown. Well, let's start with you on Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, if you think Ben's coming back strong. Maybe not as strong as 2018. I'm assuming you're pretty high on Juju. Yeah, I think around those guys, he's he's a coin flip with any of them, and you're not wrong or right to favor one or the other, right? They all have their – and A.J. Brown has the issue of, you know, he has Tannehill as his quarterback, and are they going to try to run the ball 60 times a game or whatever? So it's the, it's the right question. And it wasn't just Ben. Juju was beat up last year as well. So it wasn't just Ben being out. I think he missed a few games and was pretty hobbled throughout the middle, late part of the season. So – um, you know, I had him two years ago when he had his breakout year. Uh, he actually had a really nice game that won me my championship. So there's kind of a special place in my heart for him. Um, I want to believe. How would I say that? I, I really want to believe that he's going to be a top 15 receiver in the league, a 1,200-yard, 12 TD, 85 catch kind of guy. Uh, it's going to be tough to feel good about it when you make the pick so your heart says yes your mind says no kind of yeah okay mike juju in 2018 111 receptions 1400 yards seven tds is he returning to form 100 percent. so last year juju was the number 10 draft pick in our league he was a wide receiver one based solely on the fact that he's the guy wide receiver one and ben roethlisberger is going to be airing it out to him so how come now it's any different when he's a younger guy, he's got one more year of experience under him. Mind you, is with Mason Rudolph, so we can't really, how much we can count that, I don't know. But I, I'm really big on him. With the guys you mentioned, I would take him in a heartbeat. Would you take him over Mike Evans? 
I know you're a big Mike Evans guy on our podcast several weeks ago. Yeah, uh, that's a tough one, man. I got I got to take Mike Evans. Will Evans or Juju? Yeah, you, I'm an Evans guy. I mean, I I ride him to the end for like I think for the last like half a decade. So you know, I'm gonna take him again with Tom Brady, but. It's going to be close right there. So Somebody is – five people in our league are going to feel different. Yeah, I'm taking Juju over Evans in that selection just because Juju's the number one guy in Pittsburgh. And if Ben's back, he's going to be Ben's number one target. Yeah, yeah. Evans, you don't know. Um, another good comp is DJ Moore, who's being drafted right around him. Will, DJ or no, Juju? No, I, I, I think – I've actually read some really interesting things about how the previous Carolina coaching staff – comes from a thought process that really utilizes their top guys. So this translates to McCaffrey's production probably dipping this year as well, Mm -hmm. where they're like, we don't try to spread the ball around. We just try to get it to our best guy all the time, force the ball to him type of mentality. With the new staff, I've kind of heard that they don't expect that much out of DJ Moore in terms of intentionally targeting him constantly. Target hog. Yeah, and then, of course, you know, the quarterback situation there is okay, but I don't know about chemistry, so I I would have to take Juju, no question. Mike, DJ or Juju? Juju, all day. I mean, to to your point, it made it really tough with the Mike Evans comp, but, you know, the Steelers, Steelers' offense under Ben Roethlisberger just puts up points. Yeah. And those those primetime matchups in that division just tend to go off, and you love watching that. So it's hard to really pass on Juju. I think we envision the Steelers of 2018 when they didn't have a defense, when they're airing it out all the time. They had to score over 30 points a game to compete. I don't think that's going to be the same Pittsburgh Steelers this year. I just don't. But I can't take DJ Moore on Carolina um, with a new coach and new quarter. I just can't. So I'm yeah. on Juju's side there as well. Good Juju, bad Juju. So I guess we're all saying at ECR 14, there's value in taking Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah. Moving on to Deontay Johnson. He flashed last year. He's ECR 35. He's another one of Ben Roethlisberger's target. Arguably, I say arguably, the number two target there. Because you do have James Washington looming in the mix. And they did draft uh, Claypool. So... Deontay Johnson, ECR 35. Mike, let's start with you. He's being drafted around John Brown, Julian Edelman, and Marvin Jones. Those aren't really that great of names either. How are you feeling about Deontay? I like Deontay. Man, you know, I was so high on James Washington last year, and he absolutely broke my heart. <laughs> I think Will and I were talking about him absolutely oh, exploding. Yeah, yeah. He, he went to school with Mason Rudolph. There was that narrative going on, yeah, right? It was, they had some kind of pre-existing connection. It was all bad, but I, th- I think, you know, he really didn't show anything. I, I, and Deontay Johnson flashed. I think he's going to be the number two guy in Pittsburgh. So around that tier that you're talking about, I think it's a good pick. Will, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, first of all, there is always that mystery of was his relationship with the quarterback who was in there the reason that he played the way he did? That being said, 59 catches on 92 targets almost 700 yards and five TDs as a rookie with what was a garbage offense. That's pretty darn good. Okay, it's impressive. And here's the other thing you have to think of. You have to give him credit for this. History of Pittsburgh nailing wide receivers. Heinz Ward, Antonio Brown, Emmanuel Sanders, Juju Smith-Schuster. Who's the guy that had all the criminal history? And he, uh, I can't remember his name. It was Marcus Wheaton, but another guy. He yeah. moved on Hayward to the Bay. Raiders. Hayward Bay? No, but he was there too. Okay, yeah. <laughs> anyway, the point is they have a history of finding guys that you didn't know their name that end up being really good receivers. Yes. It's hard to believe 
that we're going to see a regression getting a Hall of Fame first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback back into the mix with the, with the season he had before. So when you're talking about where he's being drafted around, you're kind of getting into the flyer zone. And for me, I'll take a guy with upside that's a little more of a gamble in those type of rounds over a Marvin Jones that I know exactly what I'm getting out of him and quite frankly can probably find that from a week-to-week basis on the waiver wire. Fair enough. Good points. I like the point on the Steelers just producing wide receiver after wide receiver. And Martavius Bryant Martavius is the Bryant. name that I was thinking And that's of. the guy that uh, was supposed to beat me to send me into the dress. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Through. All right. You mentioned the name, Mike. I'm going to bring it up. James Washington. Are we moving on with life or is Pittsburgh going to stick with the guy and is he going to have some fantasy value this year? We're, we're, we're moving on, honestly. Like, you, you know, they're those guys that you go high, get high on and kind of take their position and they absolutely burn you. As me last year, he wasn't even a, a number two guy, so I, I just write him off. Will, anything to talk about there? He's a burner. And if there's a sophomore slump situation. But Deontay? You're look, yeah. You're looking at maybe a guy who might surprise people. There is a reason... Every magazine and every person was as high on him as they were a year ago. And he was going in the eighth or ninth round, and people thought they were kind of stealing a, a, a guy that was going to be the number two guy in Pittsburgh. I don't think that you have to draft him that way. So, in fact, I would imagine he's going undrafted in most leagues. At he's this. ECR 65. That's basically undrafted. So I would just say keep him on your, your list of guys to watch out for because he may surprise us. And draft the guys, unless you guys disagree – Draft the guys that are being drafted around him. Alan Lazard and Sammy Watkins are two names. I'd much rather have Watkins and Lazard over James Washington. Yeah, today I would. Mike, agree? Sammy Watkins for week one. Consensus. (laughs) Sammy Watkins is a rock star week one. Tight end. Eric Ebron. New face at a new place. He's at ECR 21. He's being drafted around Jack Doyle. Tyler Eifert, he's still in the league. Cameron Brait, the third tight end for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Eric Ebron can get you some weeks where you get some double-digit TDs. And Ben Roethlisberger likes to throw to the tight end. Will, Eric Ebron, some upside at ECR 21? Hopefully we can move on from this quick. I think think you pretty much set it all up when you said he's ECR 21 for tight ends. So that's somebody somebody's presumably third string tight end, which I if you're drafting that way, it's probably already a bad season for you. They also have Vance McDonald. Vance, baby. And he he makes some catches. I feel like when we talk about the team versus the fantasy aspect, yep. I feel like they have a pair of really good tight ends for that team to be successful. I don't see fantasy value for either. Mike? Yeah, I think everyone kind of thinks Eric Ebron of old. Um, and I mean that by just... Eric like Ebron's one, gonna, one, one of those guys... Is gonna, Indy. It's, it's that name where you put it he's on He's going to break out every year. Yeah, it's that name where you put it on there. It's like... And he catches you three balls for maybe 40 yards or something like that. And you're like, why isn't Eric Ebron doing anything? And it's going to be the same thing. All right. Well, I probably won't have Eric Ebron on my roster either. <laughs> Moving on to the Cleveland. To start the season, but you know. I can't wait to talk about the Cleveland Browns. I just can't. There's a specific name I can't wait to talk about. Right. But let's get started on their over-under win total of eight and a half. Mike, over-under, eight and a half wins for the Cleveland That's- Browns. It's so under. It's so under. Take take it's that so one. So under. It's so under. How how far I, under? I, I think they're lucky if they get six. Okay. That's that's where I'm at with. And, and and why do you say that? Um, you know, just looking at the past seasons, looking at looking at Baker, looking just, it's Cleveland. You know, there's it's those teams. 
the Lions, the Browns. The Cavs the won the championship. Yeah, there's no LeBron here. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> so I, I, I'm thinking they're more a six-win team. Well, I have them 8-8, eight and eight, so I'm going under. But it's not because I think they're going to be a grease fire. I think it's a scheduling issue. So when you look at some of the schedules that they have or some of the games they have outside of conference, not to mention Baltimore twice and Pittsburgh twice, it was really just going through their their schedule and saying, I really have a tough time seeing them be better than eight and eight. I think nine and seven is certainly doable for them, but it's, it's going to be a tough road. Okay. I'm going under as well. I'm going six and 10 and rather than rant, Rather than rant about the Cleveland Browns, I'm going to rant about the players instead. Let's start with Baker Mayfield at the quarterback position. He's ECR 16 in 2019. He was QB 19. Will, talk me through Baker Mayfield. I know you were a big Baker guy coming out of school. Do you still believe in Baker? I believe in him for the upside at QB 2 and simply because they've improved the O-line and they do have a lot of weapons. And they have a good running game. And I think, you know, when you look at it, they now have Stefanski running the ship from Minnesota. Yep. He did a hell of a job in his one year of play calling for Minnesota when they gave up those duties to him. And Basically, then, Kirk Cousins, don't throw the ball. However it did, it worked. Okay? Whatever, it worked. They were they were a solid team. They got in the playoffs. And, you know, their guys got their numbers other than Thielen. So, um, yeah, I, I like his upside for a QB, too. Mike, he's being drafted around Beth, Ben Roethlisberger, who we mentioned, Cam Newton, Ryan Tannehill. Your thoughts on Baker Mayfield? Uh, Got to take those other guys over Baker Mayfield. I mean, looking at him thirty last year, 3,800 yards. 22 touchdowns, not bad, but 21 interceptions. Um, Will, I think, described James Winston one time as a guy who just goes out there and balls, and then certain quarters looks like someone who's never thrown a football before. And Baker Mayfield's mm. kind of one of those guys where <laughs> yes. all of a sudden you'll see a flash, and then next thing you know, he's just doing some crazy shit that you have no clue what's going on. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I mean, having him around a Cam or a, or a Ben Roethlisberger, I, I take them no doubt. Okay, so he, last year he had 3,800 yards, 22 TDs, and three rushing. And now Steph, Kevin Stefanski comes in, run-heavy scheme. Last year, Ben or Baker was just throwing the ball willy nilly. I forgot the name of the coach that they had, but he was he was just a dumpster fire. Kitchens, Freddie Kitchens, Freddy's Freddy Kitchens. Kitchens. Freddy Kitchens. Thank you. So, if you have a run heavy scheme coming in, and you don't need a forced pass, why would you do better than three hundred yards and twenty two TDs? I don't know why. Because I think they'll be down in football games, and then they'll have to ask him to put up numbers. So there is something to be said for a team. To Mike's point. I think they're not going to be that good. I think they're going to have a bad record. Well, that means they're losing football games. And when you're losing football games, which I see them doing as well, it means you have to throw the football in the third and fourth quarter. And as much as we don't like having to root for a guy like, uh, you know, your, your staffer that you mentioned earlier, there is something to be said for a guy that comes in late in the third and the fourth and is always down in a football game and has to throw the ball. So Lake Bortles cleaned up in that role. Certainly. It, it, it's a real fantasy thing. It's it totally not is. fun to root for, and it's painful as Jameis Winston threw for 5,000 yards in that it's, role. As a person with a player on your team, it kills you every week, but when the guy ends up with 26 points or whatever at the end of it, you're like, okay, I guess I got away with one. So, yeah. If you watch any of the games, here's the problem I have specifically with this player. In that role, Baker Mayfield last year still wasn't even accurate. I saw all – I had an OBJ on my fantasy team. I saw how inaccurate he was force-feeding the ball to Baker Mayfield – or to uh, OBJ and never hitting him. So 
I just don't see a reason why that's going to change this season. Maybe Stefanski makes him a little bit more efficient, but with efficiency comes a reduction in pass attempts. So for that reason, I'd rather have Ben Roethlisberger. I'm not really into Cam at all this year, and Tannehill doesn't really give me a lot of upside, so maybe I draft Baker over Cam Newton and Ryan Tannehill. Mike, do you agree, or do you have a different opinion when you rank stack rank those guys? I disagree. I mean, to your point, you're you're talking to about you're talking about that backfield with Chubb and Kareem Hunt with a erratic quarterback. When you have those two in the backfield, you run it, and God knows that's going to drain out the clock. You're going to lose opportunities. So I and granted, Tannehill's in a similar situation with Derrick Henry, but I would I would have to take those other guys over to Baker Mayfield. Well, are you taking the theoretical upside of Superman, or are you taking Baker? I'm staying away from Cam Newton because I still think that's a broken body that's being propped up by the fact that he is like a superhuman freak athlete. So I'm I'm just worried about him. I guess here's the question I would ask you, right? Do you believe at all? And I don't think you should necessarily. But do you believe at all in a maturity situation with Baker at that position, a total tumultuous coaching, a guy who was completely over his head as the head coach of that team. And they're a bit of a sophomore slump scenario because Baker Mayfield was great as a rookie. Good, good as a rookie. Yeah. Okay. Well, he, I think he set some rookie records for passing. So, I mean, it was pretty good. Okay. Okay. And came into again, a dumpster fire situation five weeks in when he wasn't even supposed to be playing. Right. I mean, he really did have a great season by all accounts in that scenario. And that's why everyone was on the hype train. Everybody was all about Cleveland, right? I think we all know that he has shown in the past some maturity issues, and that certainly seemed to be the case. I don't know if he's gone past those. I've seen the recent interviews. I've seen the recent television shows. He seems to be taking a different attitude. I know his teammates still believe in him. But if this is a more stable coaching staff, if maybe he had kind of a weird second year, high expectations. I mean, he's even come out and said, I'm not used to losing. I didn't handle it well. I didn't handle my teammates well. Do you believe that maybe last year could have been the anomaly based on some of these factors that he can grow past that? I think Baker has done a good job of making himself the type of player you want to root against. And I think it's extremely difficult to take away that persona once you've already established it. I can't think of any guys in the NFL that started with a persona like that, flipped it around, and completely changed their image. Michael Vick. Michael Vick is a pretty good example. But Michael Vick was never a personality. He had the dog incident, right? Right. But he was never a personality where you're like, I want to root against that guy because of the way he presents himself to the media. Sure. I feel like Baker, to me, is a lot closer to Johnny Manziel than Michael Vick. Okay. That's my direct answer to that question. Moving on to the running backs. I think we've talked a lot about Baker. We can, <laughs> but I feel like you can talk about Baker all night. That's, and that's, that's, that's what sells that advertising. That's right. That's right. All right. Nick Chubb, ECR 9. We just talked about a heavy running scheme. In 2019, he was the RB8. Will, Nick Chubb, you buying the running scheme and Nick Chubb running behind it? Does he take a step back or does he take a step up? Because... We all know, and I guess I'm going to cover two things with one here, but I don't know how you talk about one without talking about the other. We all know about the production decline once Kareem Hunt got inserted to that Absolutely. Yep. It's not a Nick Chubb issue. It's a scheme issue. To your point, Stefanski has shown that he likes to run the ball, and Chubb certainly proved out, right? I mean, what do you have, like 
uh, 1,500, 1,600 all 1,500 yards, yards, eight TDs. Yeah, plus some receiving yards. Yeah. Even with even with Kareem Hunt, and I think those kind of went away. Yes. Right? That's Once, right. So, it, I have a hard time pulling the trigger mm-hmm. on him because I have a real fear of Kareem Hunt. And he's being drafted around guys that may not have the same issues with a backup running back looking to take away receptions. He's being drafted around Joe Mixon, Kenyon Drake, and Josh Jacobs, Mike, let's, let's pass it on to you. Yeah, um, so, so we talked about this, not getting any preseason and seeing how the new coaching staff is going to get a timeshare with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. So it, it's something you got to worry about. When you look at Kareem Hunt back in Kansas City, he was a hell of a pass catcher, so I think he's going to be taking a lot of that away from Nick Chubb. It's going to be a two-headed monster with a timeshare, so I'm, I'm going to stay away from it around that uh, uh, running back number nine position i have mixon and i have jacobs over chubb because i don't feel a threat of guys on those teams taking away carries or receptions away from them i am not taking nick chubb over Kenyon drake because i have not seen a coaching staff dedicate an entire workload to Kenyon drake i've seen the exact opposite of that yeah so until i see that actually happen i'm not going to believe that Kenyon drake even though i totally believe in the talent the guy just makes play after play and makes players miss left and right um, but I want to see it first before I invest a second-round pick in a running back like that. That's an interesting guy to compare Nick Chubb to. So you have the buying of a player that you believe is going to be the workhorse in an offense that run, runs theoretically the most plays in the NFL versus a guy that's supposed to be the workhorse running back but may get taken off the field on passing downs. Will, do a comparison between Drake and Chubb. That's a tough one to do. Very tough one. They're, they're very incomparable, but from just an overall production standpoint, I agree with you that I don't feel great about Drake being a bell cow for an entire season. Chubb has now proven he can do that, so I'll take that. Kareem Hunt isn't adverse to getting injured either, right? So if Kareem Hunt isn't 100% seven weeks in, you're going to be real happy that you have Nick Chubb. That's right. So everybody's shying away from it. But I think there is something to be said, and I think this was the case last year with OBJ and Jarvis Landry, and I know we'll kind of transition to this next. But, you know, if you draft Kareem Hunt way later and he is healthy for the whole year, do you almost get the same overall production, relatively speaking, to a Nick Chubb because of the PPR rules, because of the reception yards, because of a couple of long touchdowns, that you got the value for him that you didn't get with Chubb? Mike, your thoughts? So it's a lot of the same guy, right? So Kenny and Drake were saying he's never really been the guy. He gets kind of coached out or he's got a running back two stealing carries. Well, you're going to see the same thing in Cleveland with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt because, like I said, it's going to be that two-headed monster. I see Kareem Hunt taking a lot of receptions and also getting a lot of plays, taking that from Nick Chubb. With that said, if you're looking at the same number of carries – well, not, not so much the same number of carries, but a similar role. Would you rather have someone in the Arizona offense that everyone's pretty high on or that Cleveland Browns offense? i got to go Kenyon Drake. Interesting. Okay. That's. Uh, I hope I'm not faced with that decision in the draft. Put it that way. It's a tough one. Because sitting here right now, I'm not 100% sure. I know what I would do. I would probably – it feels like the safer pick to me is Chubb. Between, the safer one is Chubb. The upside pick – if you really want to go for it and win your league, is Drake. 
You said the same thing about Michael Thomas last I year. I did say the da- same damn thing about Michael. <laughs> That's a great segue. But first, let's talk about Kareem Hunt. He's, he's a riser in ECR, by the way. He's gone from the 30s to 29. He gets about 10 to 15 touches a game. We all knew him in Kansas City being the bell cow there for a while before he had his off-the-field incidents. He was a fantasy, you know, first, second-round guy. And now he's in Cleveland with Nick Chubb catching the ball. He's being drafted around Devin Singletary, Raheem Mostert, Cam Akers. Will, let's start with you on Kareem Hunt. Are you buying him at 29, ECR? Yeah, the way he's moved up, I love to see it because people are overvaluing him. There's some Kool-Aid going on with him right now. That's a lot of Kool-Aid. And when you talk about some of those, first of all, Raheem Mostert is now the number one back on one of the top offensive lines on one of the top. But he catches nothing. They don't throw him the ball. Okay, but you know he's going to get 20 to 25 touches a game as it currently stands. If they're up. Yeah, right? So, I mean, I I just can't take a guy who you know they're going to mix in and who they literally – you saw which – you can't say that, oh, because Kareem Hunt three years ago on Kansas City – like you guys believe how everybody in Kansas City is super productive, that the team is going to be dedicated to trying to mix him in when they just watch Nick Chubb at age 24 do what he did. I I can't believe that they're going to start going half and half on touches. So I think he's being overvalued at this stage. I haven't gotten him in a single mock draft I've done. Mike, what about you? I'm I'm on the opposite side of the fence. I'm a, I'm a believer in Kareem Hunt. You look at his career in Kansas City. He's got I mean his receiving numbers are huge and and uh, Nick Chubb's really aren't. At his peak at 2018, you're looking at about 400 yards and seven TDs, which is monster. Um, he's 25. I still don't think we've seen the best in Kareem Hunt. I think because of all his off 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 field. We've seen crap. the worst. <laughs> yeah. yeah <that's laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean because Thank every you. because Thank everything you. we've seen, all the controversy, we kind of think he's someone that's kind of past his prime. But twenty five, look for him to to take a big big bite out of Nick Chubb's load. All right, so it's not the player; it's where you draft him. Kareem Hunt's being drafted around Singletary doesn't feel very upside ish to me. We talked about Mostert, so if you're in a standard league that doesn't award points for receptions, you take Mostert over Hunt. It's a no brainer. But if you're in a half-point PPR or in a PPR league, you have to consider a Kareem Hunt over Mostert because Mostert doesn't catch the ball. And when guys don't catch the ball and they don't get in the end zone, you run the risk of having a guy on your starting lineup that scores you seven fantasy points. And that does nothing for anybody. Yeah, it's always a valid point. The, the running back without the receiving uh, touches and yards has become a tough place to be. And if Nick Chubb goes down, Kareem Hunt, if Nick Chubb was not in the picture today, would Kareem Hunt be a first-round running back? If Nick Chubb oh, didn't, didn't exist. I, oh, I think second round maybe, second round. Yeah, he'd be an early second round. The 49ers, they always mix it up in that backfield. Raheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman, Jarek McKinnon. Raheem Mostert is My name is Jeff Wilson. One. I think there's a guy named Jeff Wilson there who at one point in one game Jeff, got Jeff like three Wilson is in the fourth string. Nice work. Mm-hmm. Nice work. You're welcome. Let's talk about some receivers. Let's go into some receivers. Let's go into Odell Beckham Jr. You love him. Okay. I've heard from so many different podcasts out there around OBJ having the potential to be the overall wide receiver one. The potential to be the overall wide receiver one. He's ECR 10 right now. He's being drafted around Juju Smith-Schuster, Amari Cooper, DJ Moore. Mike, I want to get your thoughts on Odell Beckham Jr. before I open up my own can of worms. So, but before you absolutely unload on Odell Beckham Jr., 
Um, yeah, he hasn't done anything, man. 2016 was the last year he was serviceable. We're looking at about four years removed. Uh, he hasn't really shown himself in Cleveland, didn't step up. Um, actually, Jarvis Landry had better numbers than him. I don't think he's an adult. I don't think he's he's not going to shine the way everyone wants him to. Everyone has that Monday night highlight or that, that catch highlight in the back of their mind thinking that's the norm. That's not really the case. He's overvalued. He was wide receiver 25 last year with 1,000 yards and four TDs. Will, talk to me about OBJ. Yeah, he was wide receiver 25, which because you drafted him in the second round and thought he was going to be a top 10 guy, feels really painful. I thought he was going to be more than top. I mean, you draft Odell Beckham Jr. in the second round, you're thinking he has that wide receiver 1, 2, 3 well, overall You certainly potential. were hoping he has that when you made that decision. I didn't do that. Don't, don't put that on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but here's the thing. OBJ, if he has any progression, he had 74 catches too, by the way. So in a that is not something to brag about. In a bust season, in a bust season, yes. he had seventy four catches and on one hundred and forty targets on okay, something like that. Seventy four catches and a thousand yards in a bust season. Allen Robinson had ninety eight catches and a thousand yards, and you call it a huge win because of where you drafted him. That's why. Of course. Okay. OBJ is now going in the late third, early fourth type of place now. Right? Yes. Okay. So if you're telling me he could have any progression at all, and they also say that he was kind of hurt last year. I don't know how much I believe that or not, but I remember to start the season, there were some issues with him. You're always kind of hurt when you underproduce. Sure. But, I mean, even going into the season, there was this thing with his foot. Okay? So if he's healthy, if he catches 85 balls, if he catches 1,150 yards, and if he catches 8 to 10 TDs, at the late third to fourth round spot where you're getting him now, that's not a bad pick. So I know where you're going to go with this. But it's not about what he did last year and where you drafted him at. It's about where you're drafting him now. How many times did you say if in that sentence? The, the point is, he, oh, when he plays a season, he gets over 1,000 yards. We're saying if this, if that, if this, if that. Well, for, for Odell Beckham, for for, since 2016, we've been ifing him. Sure. So we just talked earlier about Baker Mayfield and the offense and him not really being – the high upside guy that maybe we thought he could be last year when the hype train was rolling. Why would it be different this year for Odell Beckham? Again, so do you think DJ Moore has higher upside than he does in that spot? Yes, because it's been proven. No, that's that's just a bad... OBJ has proven he's done it at times. So that, that, that's not a fair... He hasn't proven it recently. Okay. Okay. It's been too long for me. That catch happened. I don't. I can't remember. It's not one about year, the but... catch. I'm still looking at the raw numbers. Seventy five catches, a thousand yards, and obviously you had a down TD year, right? He also had a Landry on him who did catch pretty well for eighty something, eleven hundred, and I know we're covering that, so I might as well just cover it now because obviously Landry was the value, and I overdrafted him in round four because I wanted him, but really I didn't because if he lasted one more round and I got Jarvis Landry, you were giving me a, a hard time for drafting Jarvis Landry throughout the year last year, but somehow by the end of the year where I drafted him, he had pretty good numbers. I think it's the flip side of this. I think OBJ, if you're getting him in that spot, I mean... But you're getting him in a spot over Juju Smith-Schuster, Amari Cooper, and DJ Moore. Okay, I would take him over Amari Cooper because I think they spread the ball out and Amari Cooper drops a lot of balls. I think I would take him over DJ Moore because I don't know what's going on with that quarterback situation and that new coaching regime. So 
you can make a case for Juju Smith-Schuster for sure. But I don't. I would never fault somebody for taking OBJ over Juju because what did Juju do last year? And he's only had one good year, right? Like one and a half good years. Mike. Yeah. Um, well, already kind of covered the OBJ thing. Staying away from him uh, personally, uh, but for over those guys that we mentioned, those guys you mentioned, give me Cooper. Pass on DJ Moore. That's that's where I'm really putting it. So DJ Moore did what he did last year with Kyle Allen at quarterback. Is Kyle Allen in the league anymore? Yeah. He's, he's in Washington. He's the backup he's, in Washington, he's gonna right? He's going to start. He's going to start. Yeah, because he's coming with the coaching staff that knows that offense, and Dwayne Haskins doesn't know professional offense. I think yet. we just won a little bold prediction right here on the Washington football team starting quarterback. Yeah, he's going to be a starting quarterback. Very good. So, yeah, I'm taking all those other guys. I, here's my bold prediction. I think Odell Beckham Jr., will have a closer year to Marvin Jones than Julio Jones. Okay. Chalk that up. That's fine. I think, I think he's going to have 80 for 1,109 TDs and be a great pick where you get him. Fair enough. Moving on to Jarvis Landry, who you overdrafted last year. Sure. He is down now to ECR 31. He was wide receiver 12 last year. You said overdrafted, but wide receiver 12 is pretty darn good. 1,200 yards, 6 TDs. Where do you see Jarvis Landry? He keeps getting undervalued year in and year out. He was getting undervalued in Miami. He feels boring because he never has the big – he's the guy that's going to catch the short ball. Okay, but I'll take a guy who has every year 85 to 95 catches and live with the 6 to 8 TDs, especially in a PPR league. He even will get some end rounds, and he does find a way to get in the end zone usually between 6 to 10 times a year. So the fact that his draft stock continues to fall just – puts him in a bigger value position because I see some of the guys who are going above him and they're guys that haven't proven anything. Mike, Jarvis Landry over guys like Stephon Diggs, Tyler Boyd, and Hollywood Brown? Um, I would probably take, out of those guys, I would take Stephon Diggs over him um, out of all of them. The rest of them, I'm taking Jarvis Landry. He's a high floor guy. He'll always give you those 1,000 yards. He'll give you five to seven touchdowns. He always suits up. His, his numbers, and I've had him a few years, are really... He's about a 70-yard guy, gets you a ton on the PPR, and sometimes you luck out with a touchdown. For around that draft pick, I think it's, it's pretty good value. You mentioned he's a floor guy. I would have said the same thing differently. He's a roster construction guy. If you've drafted a couple ceiling guys and you need another receiver to complement that, you take a guy like Jarvis Landry. If you've gone safe with your other wide receiver picks and you need an upside guy, you go with something like Stefan Diggs, who has a little bit more unknown. He's on a new team. He's a big play receiver. Everyone's kind of saying he's with, he's with Josh Allen. Josh Allen's not accurate. But we've never really seen that before. So there might be more upside with a guy like Stefan Diggs. He's the least accurate quarterback in football, according to next-gen stats. But he's also going into his third year. So he's just going to get miraculously accurate Well, you th- with no offseason. And- you think that – the I mean – Taking an objective point of view, a third-year quarterback is going to be more accurate in his third year than his first year. You didn't feel that way about Baker Mayfield? I don't feel that way about Baker Mayfield because I don't feel like he's the type of quarterback that really focuses on his craft to become that. Okay, so now you know how hard he works. I do. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you look at the Stephon Diggs thing, though, I mean, really, he, he was catching the ball from Kirk Cousins, and he had Adam Thielen on the other side there. 
I mean, I don't know the answer to this, but is is, John, is Josh Allen someone who takes more risk? Because obviously Kirk Cousins isn't. Kirk Cousins takes some risk on Monday night. I'll tell you that much. And it's the wrong type of risk. Look, John Brown was good. We're getting it totally off the wall. But John Brown had a really nice year last year with Josh Allen. But it's because he can scramble and throw a deep ball. Diggs can certainly benefit from that. But they still have John Brown there. I, I just worry when you have a quarterback that is the least accurate quarterback in football, that is a dicey situation to bank on a wide receiver. Fair enough. And since we're talking about all the other guys he's being compared to, Tyler Boyd had 147 targets last year on Cincinnati. So, you know, I don't see a reason why that's going to change. We'll get into Cincinnati in a second. But Tyler Boyd is appealing in that area versus yeah. a guy like Jarvis Landry. All right, moving on to the tight end position. Austin Hooper is another new face at a new place. He is ECR 14 when last year he was tight end 6 with Atlanta. Mm -hmm. He's being drafted around Rob Gronkowski, Noah Fant, Jonu Smith. Mike, let's start with you on Austin Hooper. Can he return the same type of value that he did last year or even come anywhere near it? Well, it sounds like he's getting devalued versus last year, so it's, it's kind of a value pick to take him. About 780 yards, 6 TDs. Um, I mean, Scott, I know he's not playing in a dome anymore, and that's pretty important to you. Those, those, um, those details are always important. But uh, I would take him at that. I think you said ECR 14 slot. That's, that's a pretty good spot to get him. You take him over Gronk, Fant, and Janu? Yeah, no doubt. Will, you had Austin Hooper last year. It was a great pick last year. And you have a tough decision to make on your keeper. So I know. Talk. I'm so bummed that he got picked up by the Browns because if he for where I drafted him in like the 14th or 15th round he would have been a no-brainer keeper and I would have the a similar situation to when I had Kittle and I don't have to worry about a tight end um I, I gotta stay away from him because it's just such a mystery and I don't know if the Hooper thing was because Atlanta throws the ball 50 times a game and I kind of feel like it is and because it, Julio for the life of him can't get red zone TDs yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I know Njoku was hurt all last year, and he's such an athlete, but I say the same thing about O.J. Howard every year, and it never really pans out. I just don't understand it. I don't know why they have both those guys on their roster. I don't know how they're going to use him, and I would probably draft the upside of like a Noah Fant where I know he's the clear-cut number one tight end. I don't feel strongly one way or another about this. I feel like if I'm in a situation where I have to start one of these guys – if I had to start one one of them, I mean, they did pay him a boatload of money. I don't know what it was, but it was a big number. He was the highest paid tight end yeah. until Kittle and Kelsey signed their contract. That's right. That's right. So give me the guy that just got paid. Moving on to the Cincinnati Bengals. But before we do that, I think it's a good time to thank our sponsor, Will, don't you? Oh, well, happy to have everyone joining us here on the White Claw Wireless Hotline. With over 10 delicious flavors, remember the next time you're reaching for that draft pick, reach for the claw. Well done. Moving on to the Cincinnati Bengals. Cincinnati has an over-under win total of five and a half this year. Mike, over-under the Cincinnati Bengals led by the new quarterback, Joe Burrow. Uh, that's a tight one. I, I, I mean, they might get one division win against uh, Cleveland, so I'm finding it hard-pressed to, uh, to go over on that. So I'm going to have to say the under. Will. Under 4-12, tough schedule, rookie quarterback. I think we know where this goes. And Will, again, is looking at my notes where I have listed 4-12 and 12 as well. <laughs> um, again, rookie quarterback, I agree. Offensive line still an issue, even though they have Jonah Williams coming back. Might as well be Jonah Hill. 
Let's talk about fantasy, though. Joe Burrow, he's being talked about in the media like that's, he's going to be the guy who's going to carry this team. Uh. I don't know if you guys are seeing it, but I, that's what I've been hearing at least. He's ECR 20, which obviously isn't that high. It makes him a low-end quarterback, too. He's being drafted around Baker Mayfield, Ryan Tannehill, Jared Goff. In a 2QB league, do you see upside in draft, drafting a guy like Joe Burrow? We'll start with you. In a 2QB league, sure. I mean, there's value in drafting anybody if you think they have the upside. And obviously, he did very well against some top opponents in college. All we have to do is gauge, you know, to gauge him is off of that. And we saw him light up Alabama, light up Clemson, light up Georgia, light up Oklahoma. Those are real defenses. Those are real NFL players on the other side of the ball. So he seems to have the tools to be a franchise quarterback. But so did Peyton Manning, and we saw what his rookie year was like. So did Troy Aikman. We saw what his rookie year was like. When you are the first-round pick by a garbage organization who typically doesn't like to spend the money to do the right things, chances are you're not going to come out and light up the league. So I just don't see much value in him this year. Mike, does Burrow have the tools, or is he a tool? (laughs) That's great. Um, Dude. He's going to come out. He's going to have a rookie QB year. I mean, you look at greats like Peyton Manning, who came out, I think he was, what, like 3-13, and 12-14 and 14 his first season, just stuff like that. So he, he's going to come out. He's going to earn his stripes. I think in the long run, he's going to be a great quarterback. He's going to do good things as far as Cincinnati's concerned. But as far as fantasy relevance for this year, I don't think he presents any. Like Joe Burrow, like the long-term aspirations for him. I wanted the Dolphins to trade the farm at, in the moment to go up and draft him. But this year for fantasy, I would leave him for somebody else. Moving on to the running back position. This is where it gets real interesting with Joe Mixon, ECR 9. Last year was the running back 13, 1,500 yards, 8 TDs. He's up there at the top of the draft board multiple years now. Mike, Joe Mixon being drafted in between Guys like Kamara, Cook, Derrick Henry, and then the Drake, Jacobs area that we mentioned earlier. What are your thoughts on Joe Mixon? Um, I mean, I take Mixon over a, a Drake, a Josh Jacobs. I'm, I'm pretty high on him. I think he's going to crush it this year. But, you know, although Joe Burrow doesn't really provide uh, fantasy relevance, I think he provides stability to this roster. And I think uh, Joe Mixon really shines and, and, and is going to have a much better year. Well, carry on the progress from last year. So I'm, I'm pretty big on Joe Mixon. So segueing to you, Will, um, before talking about Joe Mixon, talk about the team really quick in terms of Joe Burrow leading the team versus Andy Dalton. People talk about Andy Dalton being the quarterback as if he was a quarterback that wasn't a viable NFL quarterback. Andy Dalton was a viable NFL quarterback. So when you compare the fantasy year for the Cincinnati Bengals with an Andy Dalton Mm -hmm. versus a rookie who we believe has more upside than Andy Dalton, how do you see 2020 playing out for the Bengals? Yeah, there's no question that Andy Dalton takes more flack for who he is. And I don't know if it's because he's ginger or what the situation is, but... Um, I actually heard a bit on a radio show, and I wish I could remember the details, but it was a game they played that was Russell Wilson versus Andy Dalton, and they would just read a stat, and it was who is the owner of that stat, and Andy Dalton was like three of the four categories that would shock you, like like something with like rushing yards, rushing TDs, um, total passing yards over that time period, like some really interesting things. So I agree. Um, I don't think the quarterback is really going to have any effect on Joe Mixon in this regard. 
So the offensive line is the issue, which seemed to improve the back half of the year, and we saw that in Mixon. The coaching staff, who was new last year, seemed to figure out how to use him, but he did. He was for sure a top 10 back for the last half of the season with a terrible O-line. And the other thing he did last year, which really surprised me when I saw it, was he caught 35 balls, which was more than Giovanni Bernard. So I've always had this fear of being vultured by Bernard catches because he's that kind of running back. But no, Mixon gets all the work there. And so I think you're drafting him in the right place. Yeah, I mean, Joe Mixon was on the field 100% of the time, pretty much. And you can kind of expect the same this year at ECR eight, nine, around those other... I think I feel like he's being drafted in the right spot. I wouldn't feel great about it, but, you know, for where you're getting him, the value seems to be there. Moving on to the wide receivers, A.J. Green and Tyler Boyd. So, arguably, one is the wide receiver one and the other is the wide receiver two. And the argument is there because they're both being drafted around the same area, around ECR 30 and 31, around guys like Jarvis Landry, who we talked about earlier, Stephon Diggs, Michael Gallup. Mike, let's start with you. I know you've had A.J. Green on your team before, last year to be specific. Are you still on the A.J. Green train? Are you getting off it and riding the Tyler Boyd train? Yeah, I thought I stole him last year and he was going to pan out later in the year. We all know he never came back. So, you know, he's only 32 years old. I I still think there's some gas left in the tank. Um, The big thing behind this, he did get slapped with the franchise tag. So he's really got to show up this year to get a, a final payday. So I think I think that uh, A.J. Green is going to be the number one on Cincinnati. We talked about Joe Burrow. I don't think there's going to be enough balls to go around and feed two wide receivers to have monster numbers. So look for A.J. Green to take the big piece of that pie. Will, we talked about the Tyler Boyd stats earlier. 147 targets translated into 1,000 yards, 5 TDs. A.J. Green has historically been the wide receiver one for the Cincinnati Bengals. Can he continue that for another year? Are you going green or are you off that off the A.J. Green train? Sure. Well, he's historically been that until the last couple years where Tyler Boyd has been the number one receiver. And the guy's had 166 catches over the last two seasons, obviously 90 last year. But uh, you know, is is he good or is it a quote to Allen Robinson situation that I was teasing you about? Because to your point, I think the guy had like 148 targets last year. So to Mike's point, I'm not sure he's going to get the targets. But here's what I'll say about A.J. Green. There's three days of padded practice. I turned on my TV and A.J. Green is out with a hamstring issue. So to quote <clears throat> one of my favorite and I think your favorite movies of all time, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Okay. <laughs> yep. The Sopranos is over find a new show. I loved AJ Green. I feel bad that the guy is going to go out the way we remember guys going out, which is hurt and hobbled and not being able to play as much as they would like. But the guy hasn't stayed on the field for a couple of years and we're already seeing hamstring issue and it's week one of padded practice. I don't know how that holds up. All right. So would you buy the idea of one more AJ Green hurrah or would you rather have the floor of Jarvis Landry? I'd rather have the floor of Jarvis Landry because you're asking for two things with A.J. Green. You're asking, one, for him to stay healthy all year. And you're asking, two, for a rookie quarterback to produce the numbers to him that he needs. I know a lot more about Jarvis Landry and I know a lot more about Baker Mayfield. So I'll take that situation because if he does the exact same thing he did last year and I'm drafting him in the sixth round, I'm still getting 1,000 yards and six TDs. Boyd or Landry? That's a great question. Mike, why don't you answer that question while Will thinks about it? Yeah. 
Give me AJ Green, then Landry, then Boyd. Wow. Okay. So you are bu- bu- buying the I'm idea buy, of. Buying it. I want that. I want the that. idea of. I felt like it was even though he just left practice with a with a hamstring it was, pull. It was precautionary. Ah, uh, that's the way it always it starts. It always starts with a precaution. Will, did you get a chance to think about that answer? Yeah. You know, I'll take Boyd because I think he is going to get the targets, and I think Burrow is going to make mistakes. But that doesn't hurt fantasy receiver numbers if they still produce, right? Like if Burrow throws some picks and has some bad fumbles and whatever, um, if he still throws it 35 times a game, Tyler Boyd's still going to get his 8 to 10 targets and or, or more, and I'll take my chances. All right, we all took the under on the Bengals. Um, we all have them around the four-win area. They drafted T. Higgins out of Clemson. I can see a scenario where if A.J. Green is playing somewhat to his ability – he gets traded to a contender this year. I mean, it just kind of feels like it makes sense. Why is AJ Green there when you have a young Tyler Boyd, when you have a young T Higgins, a young John Ross, Burrow, developing quarterback? For it just feels like he can be moved to get some value. I just don't know if Cincinnati's smart enough to make that move. I, I don't know. I don't know, but I like T Higgins as a long-term play, but I think he's going to be somebody that gets drafted in our league in the hopes of keeping him and then can't keep him on the roster because the first six to eight weeks are so dead. And then somebody else picks him up like week 13 and has like a three week run with him down the stretch. That That's what I see for a guy like T Higgins. Yeah. He was my, uh, the, you, the way you phrased that was the thought that I had around Paris Campbell last year. Yeah, I saw that. Moving on to the tight end position. I think we can cover this in five seconds. The starting tight end is actually CJ Uzama. Who's not even on ECR. The silence says for it for itself. So, so we'll Pittsburgh move. Steelers. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we can talk about them again if you want. Oh, that's right. Sorry, sorry. sorry. The Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore White Ravens. Claw, wireless hotline. <laughs> I was like, did we do this already? Sorry, sorry. Starting to kick in. Baltimore Ravens, 11 and a half over under win total. Very close to the Super Bowl until they got stopped by, go figure, Ryan Tannehill and the Tennessee Titans. Who in that game, by the way, they never talk about this, threw about 10 passes. Yeah, Mike, let's start with you. Let's <laughs> <laughs> start with you, Mike, on, on Baltimore, kind of repeating what they did last year, 11 and a half games, over or under? Going over the 11 and a half. Um, I think they're going to run through Cleveland. They're going to run through Cincinnati. They're probably going to split with Pittsburgh. So you've got five wins there. By three on a field goal in overtime. Yeah, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going over here. Will? Yeah, thirteen and three for me. And what's really interesting about their schedule, on top of what Mike talks about in division, is their tougher games on the schedule. Like they have the Tennessee Revenge game, right? Yep. They play the Kansas City Chiefs and they play the Dallas I'm Cowboys. Playing a first first place schedule, right? Yeah. But all three of those games are in Baltimore. Okay. So even the tougher games they get, they get at home, and we know that's a, that's some of an advantage now. I guess the home field advantage thing is something we do have to address at one point, which is, does home field advantage mean a damn thing now? Because there's no fans, there's no crowd noise, there's no atmosphere, and I'm watching in the NBA bubble. Can you pump in well, more fan noise? Yeah. I don't know, but I'll tell you, I'm watching the NBA games, and it's a lot of fun because teams who would it's not do well on a on a, yeah. a, a opposing court are playing at a high level on a neutral floor, so... I, I just think they're getting the right type of matchups for them, and I see them 13-3. and three. I see them under, but still a good team. I have them at 10-6, and six, and we'll get, why, we'll get into why in a second here. And we'll get into why, starting with QB, Lamar Jackson, ECR2. 
Last year, he was the quarterback one, 1,200 yards rushing, 36 passing touchdowns. Second year, crazy. Mike, are you buying Lamar Jackson as the second greatest QB? I'm assuming the answer is yes, but feel free to speak up if it's no. But the question I really have from you for you is, when would you consider taking a Lamar Jackson or a Patrick Mahomes in your fantasy draft? So, yes, we're seeing him as the number one, two with Patrick Mahomes right there. You're going to see more of a regression to the mean. I mean, those numbers, 36 TDs and the rush yards, it's just it's just not sustainable. We saw it with Mahomes last year. You're going to come down to earth a little bit. Um, I'm looking at taking a Lamar Jackson probably, I want to say, third, fourth round if I can get him. So, okay, so that's where he's going, third round. Would you, and it's a big difference if you take him early in the third round or late in the third round. Completely. So if you're in the one-two slot, is it even in consideration in that area? Because that's the area of Allen Robinson, Kenny Galladay, those types of receivers. Do you start going with the sure thing in your mind at quarterback or the this should be a really good receiver that has the upside? Yeah, so – to steal some of your points really depends on who you got in round. As long as you don't two. steal my thunder, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so if if you've got a solid roster, like you're, you're stacked on, you see a big drop off on running back after the, like the end of the first round, early second round, when you go from like maybe a Joe Mixon down to a Kenyon Drake. So if you're having those conversation of those guys, I would probably go with a Lamar Jackson. If I've got a tier one receiver that may have slipped, I'm going to do that, but. Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, I, I would take that if you're grappling between the, one of those tier two running backs. Will, same question. Actually, I want to ask you, can you explain the 10 and 6? I'm going to, yeah. You are? Yes. Okay. So, um, L- Lamar Jackson, yeah, you, it's not where I want to draft him. You're either willing to take him in the third round or you're not. Okay. And in our league, somebody, ha- you know, I think our champion has him as a keeper for drafting him in like the 12th or 13th round. So yep. I don't even think it's an option for me for the league that matters this year. I had him in the other league last year and it was awesome to have. I think where you're going with this, and I certainly understand my biggest concern is this obviously, the injury thing that goes without saying. When you run that much, there's an injury factor. Also, are they going to run him less because of that? Because it's smarter to do so. And can he improve in passing? And I say it with this. The 36 passing TDs, that's the anomaly. He did it on 3,100 yards passing, which is garbage. I think he had 12 of those against Miami in the first half in week one. Yeah, it's garbage. The 36 passing TDs is the fake stat of his numbers last year. Not the rushing yards and rushing TDs, because if they want to play him that way and he doesn't get hurt, he'll do it again and again and again until his body can't take it anymore, and he's way too young to be worried about that today. Okay? But... The 3,100 yards with a wide receiver crew that I know we're going to discuss where no one catches more than like 400 yards a game or a season, it's a real concern for me in a fantasy perspective. And I'll take a Tom Brady or a Drew Brees or one of those guys five, six, seven rounds later over a Lamar Jackson there. Okay. So I'm going to answer your question on the, the 10 and 6. And that's kind of a cute way of a little bit of a cop-out on what I'm about to say. So when you think about comparables with offensive scheme and the type of quarterback, there's three that come to mind where you have a unique offense, very unique, 
that excelled in the first year it was implemented and then kind of died out and got figured out. And then two specific quarterbacks who acted and played like Lamar Jackson, one of which got figured out real quickly and the other stabilized for a while, but never really won anything. Before I go into the details, Mike, does anything jump out of your mind as I'm talking through this? Is this going to be a Kaepernick comp? It's not, but that's close. Yes. Will? I was going to say Cam Newton. My comps that I had in my mind were Michael Vick. And the other comp that I had on the offensive scheme was the Wildcat offense and RG3. The Wildcat offense got... This is a different offense. Everyone can agree that the offense they ran was very different. And it kind of got maybe exposed a little bit in one specific game in the playoffs. So the Wildcat crushed it in its first year, completely downhill after that. That's the offensive scheme comp. The running quarterback who also passes TDs, who's dynamic and nobody can figure out. We've seen this before. We saw it with RG3. Wasn't RG3 like a varsity blues thing with Mike Shanahan just keeping him in there while he's getting hurt? They yeah. were run. Yeah, but but I think there <laughs> the is, option. I right? think there is a point to be said though. It's tough to make the RG3 comparison in this regard. RG3 is not the athlete Lamar Jackson is, and RG3 was thrown into a terrible organization that's now called the Washington Football Team with a lot of things working against him. Baltimore was winning ch- Super Bowls with Joe Flacco. Right? I think John so, Harbaugh should have got coach of the year so, last year. So, I agree. I agree with that. So, so my issue when you say they're going to be a 10-6 and six team is – so they're going to be the same thing they were when they had a non-dynamic quarterback and we thought they would be garbage. Like that team knows how to be boring and win 9 to 10 games a year. Lamar Jackson is still a next-level athlete. Does this team know how to come back when they're down? Well, we saw a small sample size of that, and the answer is no. But that again, that has nothing to do with Lamar Jackson's numbers. I think, I think what they're going to try to do is get him to be a 10-rush, 25-pass-a-game guy. And if that works and he can show improvement in the passing game, great. I think if they get seven, eight weeks into the season and that's not working, they're going to turn him loose and let him risk his body because that's the only way they can win. So I think that's the risk with him. So you you see regression in the passing TDs. I see the same. Yeah. I also – here's where you and I differ. I also see the regression in 1,200 rushing yards for a quarterback. It just doesn't happen year over year. So if you have regression – it's never happened. (laughs) Perfect. Even better. If you don't have the passing TDs and you have less than rushing yards – what is that probably equal to? It probably equals to a less dynamic team and probably a couple. That's why I said 10 to 6. I'm not saying they're going from 13 wins to 2 wins. Sure. Still a good team. Still a great team. Um, just not that powerhouse that's going to just run away with games. Okay. So moving on to the running back position here. This is interesting. So I was a year early on this. Everyone's talking now about Mark Ingram getting phased out. He's ECR 20. He was running back 11 last year with 10 TDs. Ironically, he's only getting about 15 carries a game. Another player, super efficient with the touchdowns. They just drafted J.K. Dobbins. Last year, they drafted Justice Hill, another area where I missed. Mike, Mark Ingram, does he have one more year in the tank? Or does J.K. Dobbins come in kind of week three, week four, and take the job away from him? You know what blows my mind? Mark Ingram's only 30. Doesn't he feel older? I feel like we've been talking yeah. about him for a long time. So, and we're talking three about different teams. I okay, know, all right. So let me let me interject here. Mark Ingram feels old to you. 
Other guys that feel old in the fantasy universe being drafted in this area are David Johnson in his 20s. Le'Veon Bell, I think he's right around the same age as Mark Ingram. Todd Gurley, Leonard Fournette. These guys all feel old, but they're not old. I'm old. (laughs) <laughs> that's a good point I didn't mean to cut you off keep going actually yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off but you, keep you going did. anyway you, you went for it um, you know he, he's only 30 years old I, I I see him this is his role it's a stable team um, I, I just see him dominating the carries he's going to get the yards with the regression we're talking about in the rush yards they do have to, for Lamar Jackson they do have to go somewhere and I think they're going to Mark Ingram I think that's he's the clear cut number one and he's the safe pick in that backfield no J.K. Dobbins? No J.K. Dobbins. So Mike thinks J.K. Dobbins is kind of is going to kind of be like Justice Hill was last year. Will, do you agree? I think he has more potential to be more impactful because he was a real workhorse back at a real Ohio State program. So he's not used to being a number two guy. He wants to be. I think they draft. They even said they thought he wasn't going to be there in the second round. They thought he was a clear first-round talent. Um I think it's going to be something you have to watch. He's going to get drafted, J.K. Dobbins, when I'm saying he's going to get drafted. He's going to get drafted, and I think whoever has him down the stretch of the season may be the fortunate one as the year goes on. Uh, I would say if I have my ideal situation, I would have Ingram where he's valued because I think he's appropriately valued. He gets off to a good start to the year and start working that trade wire. Because I would want to sell on Ingram while he's hot and early in the season. To your point, I'm worried about him holding up. He started to get a little beat up at the end of the year. And yeah, he's a 1,000-yard, 10-TD guy. And it feels like that's his ceiling. If you're in a league that's going to trade for Mark Ingram after four or five weeks of performance, you should question what league you're in. Or actually, I'll put it a different way. You should question how good your league really is. Because in our league, that trade ain't happening. I, I don't know. If you talk about a team that's really – a guy that's really hurting at running back and maybe has a couple of wide receiver two, wide receiver three guys, and Ingram comes out and is getting 85 yards, 15 to 18 touches, and a touchdown the first four weeks, you don't think somebody would be willing to make a move for a wide receiver two kind of guy where you – feels kind of like that Jordan Howard trade bait you had last year. And it didn't work for both of us. <laughs> All right. Um I like – I'm going to make the same mistake that I made last year. I like the J.K. Dobbins pick because he was drafted by them in the second round. And he comes from Ohio State. And I saw a picture of him on Instagram. And it looked really good. He's a beast. He's a beast. He's a beast. beast. All right. Wide receiver position for a team that doesn't throw that much, but you think at some point has to throw more than they have been. Hollywood Brown, arguably wide receiver one on their team. He's a climber on ECR. He's gone from the 30s to ECR 27. He's being drafted around Marvin Jones and Brandon Cooks. Mike, let's start with you on Hollywood Brown. Where the hell did those – I'm like looking at the numbers like – and I see Lamar Jackson with 36 passing TDs, and I'm looking at the re- receivers' numbers, and I'm like, where the hell did those passes go? <laughs> Mark it's Andrews. Mark Andrews. <laughs> you know, it's Mark yeah. Andrews. But And then didn't Marquise Brown have half of his numbers in week one against the Dolphins? Everyone had half of their numbers week one against the Dolphins. <laughs> in the first half. <laughs> first half of the season. But, uh, I mean, it's it, it, it's hard to say. At, at, that, at that point, you're, you're kind of throwing darts on the board. We're talking about the 36 TDs being an anomaly and that coming back down to earth realistically probably in the 20s. So it's going to suffer with the wide receivers. So I'd be fading uh, Marquise Brown. 
Will, you had him, and you may have him again this year. Your thoughts on Hollywood? Yeah, so uh, what is it? Confirmation bias on information (laughs) with him. So, yeah, I took him with the last pick of the draft or last round pick. So he's going to be my keeper because of the value I get for him in the 15th. The one thing I'll say that's been encouraging and why I'm going to do it over him with Hooper, and again, I know I'm doing a lot of uh, confirmation bias, but he was getting crushed against the press last year on top of the injury issues. So he had seven TDs, right? Like the guy has flash. He comes from the Antonio Brown lineage. Three in week one. Maybe right. been two. Right. But he didn't play that much. And when he did play, it was kind of up and down. He did have a really nice playoff game, though, when he was healthy. So he started to come into his own. The guy added 20 pounds of muscle is what they're telling us in terms of working to get off the press. Those beat reporters got to put stuff out. Right. They got to put something. And I got to buy it because I got to keep him. And the, the other – more importantly, though, more importantly, though, is – and let's just cover it now. Willie Sneed – I mean, you talk about a Jag. Miles Boykin. Miles, come on. Miles Boykin. I mean, so yeah. Devin Duvernay. Yeah, Devin. So the point is, is that if anybody feels like they could really emerge as a 65 catch guy, whatever that equates to. Is yards, Todd Heap still on the Ravens? I don't even know. Todd Heap's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we'll move past the receivers now. He's got that splash potential, but I could very well have him on my roster most of the year and him not do anything for me. I see more value in guys like Marvin Jones and Brandon Cook, so I'm passing on Hollywood Brown. And the other receivers that you mentioned, on a team that doesn't – was that a cow that we just yeah, heard? Yeah, a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> on a, on a team cow. that doesn't throw very much. Uh, Miles Boykin, Willie Sneed, Devin Duvernay. I mean, you're throwing darts at the dartboard at this point. Tight end position is where you're not throwing darts because the Ravens love to throw to the tight ends. Mark Andrews, he is an ECR three tight end, okay? That is right behind Kittle and right behind Travis Kelsey. That's, to me, a very big drop-off. He had 10 touchdowns last year. He only had a 41% snap rate. Mike, so Mark Andrews is now the tight end one on the Ravens, does he accumulate more of the market share that uh, is left behind from Hayden Hurst? Does he accumulate that or not? Yeah, I think he does. Um, Well, let me... They have this Nick Boyle guy on the roster, too, that (laughs) likes to get on the field. They keep rotating these tight ends Let me me backtrack that. So we keep saying that 36 passing TDs is the... Is that's where it's going to regress. That's... Not even a ceiling, and that's like the anomaly where that's not going to happen again. So, obviously, um, Mark Andrews is going to suffer, and that's the cliff. The Kelsey and uh, and Kittle, and then the cliff down to Andrews where you get down to the Tier 2. So, you're going to have to be taking them a little bit later to justify that pick. Well, is Mark Andrews worth a pick in the fourth round of your fantasy football draft? Probably. And the reason is that Baltimore, I don't know if you know this, but last year, 45% of their passing yards went to tight ends. That so, surprise me. So I don't judge anybody, including the Julio Jones world or these other guys, by their TDs in any given year because there's just a flukeness to it. What I'm looking for is targets and opportunity. So I think he's going to get more targets than he got last year. I think he's going to get more opportunity than he did last year. And I think if you're drafting him in the fourth round where I see people drafting him right around the uh, Waller-type scenario because I think after them... Well, he's being drafted ahead of Ertz. And Ertz is a solid name. He's been solid for a long time. That's a whole... No- I don't want to go down that train. 
But what I, train would you like to go on? And no, I'm just saying I don't want to go into the Philadelphia and Carson Wentz and all this stuff with Zach Ertz. But the the point is, is that I think he's gonna have a great year. I think regardless if he has ten touchdowns or eight touchdowns, he's gonna have that seventy to eighty reception type season. And when you get that out of a tight end, that's usually winning your weekly matchup. I think Mark Andrews is a great tight end. He's just not gonna be on my fantasy team because. I'm not going to pass on the receivers that are available to you in the fourth round and take a guy like Mark Andrews. I'll wait to take some of the upside guys that we mentioned earlier, Noah Fanta, Mike Kosicki. I'll wait to take those guys and spend my draft capital in that area of the draft around running backs and wide yeah. receivers. Great. So let's round it out with how we see these this division finishing. No, wait. One thing. What you got? I just want to say I love Justin Tucker. I know we don't talk about kickers and defenses on here. But I love Justin Tucker. If you've never had him on your fantasy team, I highly recommend you draft him one year. You just put him in every week. The guy, ha- he's the most accurate kicker in football history, and he's been the most accurate kicker since they moved the extra points back. I know kickers are so lame, but that's why I take him, because you know how I feel about having kickers. And at least I feel like I never have to think about whether or not I'm playing him. And friends, that is your freezing cold take of the week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's finish up with talking about how this division plays out and who does some damage in the playoffs or if we have a Super Bowl contender in here. Mike, how does this division round out? Two playoff teams in this division. you got Baltimore and Pittsburgh. Then you've got Cleveland and Cincinnati making strides, showing that they're going to become a contender, but just not this year. I see uh, Baltimore go to the AFC Championship again, and I can see uh, the Steelers go into the divisional round. Well, yeah, I think we're going to get the playoff uh, championship match we wanted this year, which was KC Baltimore. And I think that's where it ends for Baltimore again, because Mahomes will show why the difference between a throwing quarterback and a running quarterback matters when it comes down to playoff football. And I think they're going to have a great year. And yeah, I see the Steelers as a wild card team and they're the kind of team you never want to play in the first round. So I have the Steelers finishing first in the division, followed by the Ravens, the Browns, and then the Bengals. I have Pittsburgh in the AFC Championship game against Kansas City, and I think that Baltimore gets figured out again and needs to find a way to adjust to that, and I'm not sure that they nor I have the answer. So we all agree that Pittsburgh and Baltimore will be contenders in this division since the Cleveland have some work to do. Poor Ohio. Last parting comments to round out the podcast this week, Mike? You know, we talked about it three months ago. How's the draft going to look? What are we doing? Well, the draft's looking like Palm Desert. Everyone together uh, the way it always is, so I'm pumped. Well, yeah, appreciate the time. Hope everybody's staying safe and sane out there. And as always, you're welcome. Football season's around the corner. We're less than 30 days away. I'm pumped. It is almost here. There's only 12 players in the entire NFL on the COVID list after all this is said and done. We'll see if there's a spike, but it's all positive. Thanks, everybody.